Welcome to the LA Realtor Podcast. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And we're getting to know the industry one conversation at a time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. You're looking cool in those sunglasses today. <laughs> I am wearing sunglasses. I just had a, a LASIK oh. enhancement about 36 hours ago. So yeah, I'm looking your, pretty cool with my sunglasses in, in, in a room in the daytime. Are your eyeballs superhuman now? Like, can you shoot lasers? They should be in a few days. Yeah. Just, just getting through the light sensitivity. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, I'm excited for this week's episode. The, yeah, this, uh, this guest is a good friend of mine, really an amazing person. And we're going to learn all about the magical world of leasing and property management. Welcome, Dee Soffer. Thank you. Thank you both, Sarah and Paul. I am humbled and excited to be here. Awesome. Okay. So before we get into, again, that magical world of property management, Sarah, I want to ask uh, Dee about something that she did recently that was very interesting. Sarah, have you ever heard of something called the Camino? No. Okay. Dee, can you describe it for her and what it was that this adventure that you went on? Wow, definitely. So during the past year, I have decided to basically test myself and my ability to be with myself. So the Camino is a pilgrimage route that happens in Spain. There's multiple routes. You can take any one of them, depends on how long you have and what kind of experience you'd like to go through. So I chose the one walking from Portugal to Spain to a cathedral. Wow. It's called the Camino de Compostela, the Santiago. And um, what I've done that was really unique is basically I only had a one-way ticket landing in Lisbon. And from that point on, I knew nothing. And what was really, really important to me is that I'm trusting the process and I'm trusting myself and I'm not planning anything, nor do I control anything. So that was the mindset and my motto for, for that trip. And uh, it really presented to me multiple experiences. I met amazing people that I would have never met anywhere else. And I came back with a lot of reflections and just some sort of a serenity and grounding that I couldn't have received while being here in LA. But you, you left out wow. the craziest part, the fact that uh, you walked for 40 days. <laughs> I, I walked for, I don't know if it was 40 days, but it, I walked every day for about 30 kilometers, which is about 22 miles a day. Not having any accommodations set up. I didn't know where I'm going to eat or when I'm going to sleep or anything other than I'm going to walk from this point to that point going north. So this was exciting. Wow. A woman after my own heart. That is like, that's like a bucket list trip for me. I, oh, that sounds so incredible. It is a bucket. Yeah. It, it was a bucket list. And uh, I'll have to share that something else that I've done, which is crazier than the length, was that I actually slept in hostels with you know, like bunk beds and dormitory and shared bathrooms, <laughs> something that if you would know me, I would have never, ever imagined doing this. Uh, I haven't done it since my army years when I was 20, 20 years old. So it's been a while. Enough wow. changed since then. Yeah, I'm good. good my feet you. hurt just thinking about it. <laughs> <I'm>, uh... <laughs> Anyways, really impressive. Really very, very cool. It's the kind of person you are, D. 
So I was saying to Sarah before we got on that what you do for a living property management, and you've been doing this for about 25 years, was was my very first job in, was I in college? Yeah, my very first job in college. And I imagine it's it's changed quite a bit since then. But talk to me a little bit about property management, a little bit about your background and your company. I know you run it with your husband, Al, and you guys have been doing it for quite a while. So tell us a little bit about Optima. Yeah, sure. I'd like to share with you how I started actually and how I bought Optima 20, 24 years ago. I basically, I was a Yardi asset management consultant to property management companies. Back then was the Y2K craze. Everybody thought the world's going to just explode. And Yardi, which was back then one of the leading software for property management companies, was actually doing some conversions from the DOS programs to the Windows. That was like the transition. So I self-taught myself Yardi, and I started giving consulting to property management companies. And I acquired a few clients, and Optima was one of my clients. And uh, slowly, I started just understanding more and more of what property management is and kind of utilize all kinds of tips and best practices and how-tos from the different property management companies that were my clients and brought it into Optima. Uh, When I bought Optima, it was a distressed company. They didn't file taxes for many, many years. They were in a big loss. I mean, my client basically paid me more than he would pay himself. And uh, that was the point where I actually looked at him in the eyes and I said, hey, you're a friend by this point, and either you do this or you do that, but you can't really afford me anymore. But I'm looking mm-hmm. to do property management. So if you'd like, we can create some sort of a deal. We are still friends to this date. And it's been amazing for both of us because I was able to not only rehab the property management company and, and really bring it back to where it's in good standings and it's current, but it was also profitable. And back in the glory days, we managed thousands of units and had really big teams and were able to not only do property management, but also do a lot of the maintenance and the make ready for other property management companies. So we were basically serving us and also serving other property management companies while I was still doing consulting. And I felt that this was really unique because I wasn't like the classic property manager. I was the consultant coming in to property management companies, understanding multiple tenants, demographics and needs. Same thing with property owners and investors. So that was really cool. And it really helped me throughout the year to also not be burnt out by it. Like I always found what I need to do within the property management company that assisted me to sustain being in the company for that many years. And yes, Al joined me. About five years ago, when I opened another company, Paul, you know that I had a seismic retrofitting company for a few years. So when I started the retrofitting business, Al joined me to run the company. So now we're a duo, mm-hmm. a husband and wife running a property management company together. That's impressive, D. It's a tough business. I don't know how you haven't burned out in 25 years, but it's a, <laughs> it's a grind, right? Dealing with landlords, tenants, and leasing, and evictions, and property management, and repairs, and headaches right? It's not easy? Absolutely. If you would touch my skin, you'd see how hard it is. Over the years, (laughs) that's what's happened when you do property management. So you have to have a skin. And even though you see me smiling, I can tell you that both of my cheeks were ready willing every time they needed to be slapped, either by a tenant or by a property owner. So you do have to be uh, 
to be more of, to always remember it's not personal. That's one, that it's always a business. You're not always making the right decisions for everybody, but a decision made is a decision made. Better do it, have a decision than not having a decision in many times. But also I was always understanding that as a property manager, I'm a messenger. That's what I am. I'm always the mediator. I'm always the go-between. And when I understand that, it makes it easier for me. So let's let's talk a little bit about managing for agents. So some agents sell a lot of homes. Some agents do a lot of leasing. Maybe they do some property management, but it's mostly it's mostly going to be single family. So in the in the vein of managing and leasing single family homes, is that part of your expertise? Do you do that? And if so, what are the sort of things that you need to think about when you do that, or that agents need to think about when they're leasing and managing single family homes? Sure. Actually, we do have a few single family homes that we currently manage. They're a little bit different than when you manage multi-unit apartment buildings. But what, in my experience working with real estate agents, and we do work with them because we actually hire agents to do leasing for us. Mm. So we do understand like where the agency starts and when the management continues. What is the exact question you'd like to know about particularly about single family residences. Well, are they easier to are they easier to manage? You get a tenant in there and they're kind of like can an agent take on a leasing listing, let's say, lease that single family home and then manage it for their homeowner or investor? Is that a simple thing for the average agent to do or do they need to bring in a property management company, would you say? So I don't know if it's easier cuz the characteristics and the backbones are the same, meaning you have to still collect rent, you have to still take care of the maintenance and the ongoing services like the pool service or gardener or pest control. I think, and it depends where, because like the location of the property and the kind of tenants and how much rent they're paying is really critical components here. So I don't know if it's easier. It's definitely less time consuming because you're only dealing with either one tenant, one family, or just one unit that you have to take care of. So it's definitely simpler because it's not as many as multiple, but it requires the same. You have to be available 24 hours, seven days, 365 Mm. days a year. You have to understand when they're not happy or when they're not paying. You have to be a little bit more humanistic with why they're not paying. Sometimes when single family residence is relying on one payment, So that one payment is critical to be able to sustain Mm. the property, to pay the mortgages and insurances and property taxes and everything else. But you do need to be always on the balance, which when you have a multiple unit apartment buildings, you don't have, it's not as critical when one unit is not paying you. When with a single family, it's the only payment. So that would be the only complexity. And also I think another thing is we're talking about people's homes. So a tenant lives in a single family home is usually a lot more attached. This is what I see to the residents and feels more entitled in a way because they make it theirs. Like they're putting maybe a patio furniture or maybe they do a little bit of gardening. And all of a sudden that little shrub or tree is already theirs. The home feels more like theirs, even though they're paying rent for somebody else's mortgage, which in an apartment It doesn't feel that way. It's like more transitional, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So that also needs to be accounted for, managing both sides. What's the implication? I think you're right. I think once a tenant lives in a home for a while, they kind of do feel like it's theirs. Is that 
Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Meaning that that means they take good care of it or they just feel entitled like, if you ever want me to leave, I'm never going to leave because this is my home. So, you know, it always, I don't like to say depends, but I think this one requires a depends because if a tenant, I feel like it's a good thing when a tenant feels like this is their home because they Mm -hmm. will take better care of it. And that's really important because one of the, one of the ways tenants treat their apartments as a home is showing TLC. So the outside would look nicer. They will have a better, just the, the attachment creates better care. But I feel the other edge of the sword is that when you as the property owner wants to do any kind of modifications, and it could be the slightest one, now they have an opinion on, of how and they may reject it just because they think they can. Sometimes it could be structurally. Sometimes it could be something mandated by the city or, or something that you as a property owner, like let's say you've decided to plant a lemon tree and this tenant doesn't want a lemon tree, but it's your house because you're the owner and this tenant potentially is there temporarily. And that balance needs to be understood. This is why I think it's really important to create those expectations ahead of time And as a property owner, and we own a single family residence where we have a tenant there. And what I feel worked for us is that when we come, we always say thank you for taking care of the house. But we always explain the why of we're doing something that is different than how it's done. And that lemon tree was actually a a true example because we, (laughs) (laughs) I, I love citrus trees. And I had a few lemon trees that I wanted to plant in the front of that house. And the tenant didn't want that. What? They hate lemons? They're lemon haters? Did you have they to negotiate? Lemon, they yeah. wanted or they wanted they wanted oranges. You had to meet in the middle with limes. What happened? What happened was that <laughs> she didn't want any trees, period. She liked that open oh. where she can see outside. And I actually like the idea of having it more secluded and because it's like on a, not a main street, but on a busier street. And I thought the lemon trees will give it a little bit more of like a country feel. So that had to be mediated. I think if it would have been back to your original question, if it would have been an apartment complex, like a multifamily, then this would not even be brought up. Like who cares if there's a lemon tree in the front or not. But when you have a tenant living in a single family and this is her patio or her window looking outside, then she has an opinion on it. And you have to actually either regard it or disregard it. And on that particular one, we actually explained to her the why and there are two lemon trees right now blooming and actually bearing fruits oh. as we speak. <laughs> and she's happy, actually. I assume she gets to keep some All of, of the it, fruit. actually. <laughs> and she loves it now. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't want like fresh lemons right? every day? That sounds great. Oh, that's funny. Any other crazy or interesting stories like that with, with management or leasing or anything else? I mean, you must have some over, over the years, right? Wow. You know, even before reality TV started, I always thought if somebody would just put in cameras in our office and and just create some sort (laughs) of a sitcom or reality com of some sort, because you do doing property management, it is like a, like the big brother reality show, you know, because everything happens and it's always super dramatic and you're dealing with people. And when you're dealing with people, there's always drama and there's always something. And especially when you're dealing with tenants from multiple demographics, different ages. Sometimes they come in from out of states and coming in here to California and LA. It's it's just different. But also going back to the subject of 
agency versus management, management is not as technical as agency. Agency, you usually go buy a book. There's protocols, there are due diligences, there's like, this is how it needs to be done. With property mm-hmm. management, you have crazy stories because nothing is done by the book. Everything is done by, okay, this is the issue. We need to take care of that issue. What would be the best possible scenarios? Still adhering to codes and all kinds of regulations and rent stabilizations and whatever agency that you need to be compliant with. But you're dealing with people and tenants are people who live in your home. I mean, so that creates a lot of crazy scenarios. One particular one that I can share with you, this happened like, 15 years ago, I was sued by a tenant that we had to work on the parking structure. We had to do some, there was a pool that we had to cover and access to the parking was not available. So these tenants had to actually park outside in like adjacent streets because parking in LA, even 15 years ago, was still not available. So she Mm -hmm. sued me because, listen to this, because she lost weight. She lost weight walking from her car. I Seriously, I have the lawsuit somewhere in the office. I saved it. She sued us because she had to walk all the way from her car to her apartment for that many whatever miles and that many distances and times during the day. And this was the funniest, really the funniest serve I've ever had, like being served for somebody who lost weight because we had huh. her park somewhere else. It was really cool. Fun experience. <laughs> Not sure I understand the damages, the damages she <laughs> suffered there. Maybe worn out shoes, but wow, that's, yeah, yeah, that's different. Of course, it was a demur. Our attorney was saying, oh, she was just trying whatever. I think she, mm. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, that's the craziest that I can think of that I, I have a few, but this is like the craziest. That one's, that's just weird. So when it comes to property management, is there a limit to, or is there like a shortest period of time that you will have a tenant for? Like, will you ever do month to month to start? Or is it always like a six month or one year lease when you're getting people in there? So the standard is not a month to month. You usually strive for a 12 months minimum uh, when you can. The month to month situations happen when you need a short term lease. Like we've had situations where our properties, some of our properties that we manage were tagged to be withdrawn from the rental market. So, but until that process kicks in, you still want to rent it out. So, or when we do like a development of some sort and the property owner has a short-term plan, but it's still not a long, longer term, like let's say a two-year or a three-year plan. So you do want to go by month to month just because you want to have that flexibility. I personally don't believe in a month to month unless financially it is, it makes sense. But also in LA, it's very difficult to do a month to month because the laws protecting tenants are so impactful to property owners that having a month to month is a little bit of a risk in the city of LA. Yeah. So I imagine, do you, or I imagine you might not handle something like an Airbnb like type of management. No, we don't. Most cities do not uh, allow Airbnb in uh, like West Hollywood that you can't in Santa Monica, you can. In the city of LA, I think you can, but you have to uh, pull out a permit for it, but we don't deal with Airbnb. We don't do any short-term. Got it. Right. What 
All right. So say, say you have an agent that uh, is uh, leasing a single family home or a property on behalf of a client, on behalf of an owner. They're not planning on management. So they need to hire a property management company, right? That's kind of part of the owner slash agent's goal. There's a lot of property management companies. They're not all great um, because it's a hard business. It's a hard job. What should an agent look for in a property management company when they are looking to find one for their property? What's, what's important to know? I think the most important is communication, is the ability to communicate with a key person that is in charge so you can always have somebody to speak with when there's issues or questions. So communication is like number one. You want to make sure that the property management company that you hire really is staffed. So there are people and that you have a person that is your go-to. So you're not just running around from department to department. So that is important. So this is why a size, like a property management size is critical because if you go with like the big ones, you're just one, another one, especially if you only have a single family residence, then that means you're only one tuna fish in an ocean of others. So you want to make sure that Mm -hmm. you pick the right size property management company. But other than communication and the right size, it always go back, it goes back to expectations because a property manager is not a magician. And I feel like a lot of uh, people coming to property management companies with either big issues or like an expectations that now it's going to be a perfect tenant, always paying on time. There won't be any surprises or unforeseen situations where it's not, it's never the case because a property management is a person dedicated to manage the property. It is not a magician or he cannot just alleviate all the pains involved with managing. So I think aligning expectations and understanding what's really important from the client's perspective, that's key. So a property management, I feel like a property manager who asks questions is good. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I think I was mentioning that property management was my first job in college, my first exposure to real estate. And I have to be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> but but then again, it was so it was so long ago they gave us pagers. You know, we didn't have phones. They gave us pagers. We had to use like anyone remember public phones? Anyways, you had to like have a quarter on you. I would like to know for you, what's your favorite part of doing this job or running this business? And what's what's the worst part? What's your least favorite? I totally relate to what you said. It is not a fun, it's not a fun job to have, but I don't, I don't have a job. I feel like this is like, this is what I do. I'm, I'm good at what I'm doing mm. because what I really love about this job is it gets me to meet people. It's almost like the Camino experience that I have talked about in the beginning. I really love people and I love their stories and I love finding ways to be in the side that helps or understands. And I did, when those occasions, like when those instances happen, when a tenant comes in or a property owner comes in and he says, this is the situation, that's what we need. What can you do? And we find a way to do it. That gives me a lot of joy. I feel like doing property management provided me with a lot of learning and growth opportunities within real estate. So when you do property management, you really is doing all the nitty gritty stuff in real estate. So then when you do other things in in real estate, like if you become an investor yourself or a developer, or when I did the retrofitting, property management was really critical and paramount to me understanding what tenants and what landlords need. 
So that is, that's what keeps me doing property management. It's not the fun because it's not fun answering a call at midnight <laughs> when there's a leak somewhere or when a tenant is decides to have a party and uh, the next door neighbors don't like it and you de- you need to be the the nanny running and chasing after those tenants or when you f- when you hear excuses of on um, of non-paying rent so that is not fun that's the technical aspect of of doing management my least is when i have to be in a courtroom evicting tenants and unfortunately I've been to quite a few back in the days and just recently another one uh, about three weeks ago. And even even though you know you're there for the right reason, I mean, the tenant breached their lease and the agreement and they're at fault. It's never fun to be there and to be in a situation where you know you're actually getting these people out of their homes for whatever reason. Just being that person sitting in a courtroom one, I'm not a litigious person, so you'll never find me wanting to be in a courtroom. So property management really created the situations for me where I, where I had multiple reasons to be in hearings or in courtrooms, both in like a mediation situation or a hearing or evictions, and none of them were fun to me. Yeah. So D, how does like a changing market affect your industry? So like you've owned your company for over 20 years, yes. you said, right? And so what was 2008 like? And and how does something like 2007, 2008 compared to like right now, what you see happening in our market now and the shift and how does that affect rent rates? I'm just so curious about how that all ties Definitely. In. So it's funny because back in 2008, if we're talking about ex- that particular time area, is that LA felt like a ghost town. Our vacancy reports looked like crazy. We were busy because we had a lot of renovations and make readies and and we had other services that we provided. But from the leasing perspective, everybody fled out of LA. Everybody went back to their home states and it felt kind of eerie walking around properties and all your for rent signs are outside. And we're talking back in the days where a one bedroom apartment in West Hollywood was around $750 $750 or $900, <laughs> where nowadays hmm. we were talking about almost 3000 We have apartment building, I mean, apartments that are 3500 for a one bedroom. And I'm talking about the same one bedroom, not different. So these are the same um, properties um, that were built back in the 30s. And 15, 20 years ago, I could have rented them for 600 650 And now they would not go for less than three. So that has changed. But what I think the critical change was internet. The availability of all that information and having tenants that are way more sophisticated, they know what they want. I think it also has to do with how the apartment looks like. I mean, back in 2008, we had carpeted apartment and then we transitioned into hardwood floors. And now it's like the modern, more sophisticated open spaces. So even from the design and how we renovate apartments, it's like a very, a a huge shift. So I definitely feel it from having to go from 2008, where it was completely ghost town to now where we have sometimes multiple offers. And the higher the rent, the more renters that you have, because everybody wants to be in LA. So yeah, there's definitely a change. It's definitely noticeable. Do you think prices could go, the rent prices could go down? I mean, I guess anything is possible, but you think there's I think just eventually too much demand it will right go now? Down. 
Yes, I think eventually it will go down. Uh, I don't know if it will go down in prime cities like West Hollywood and Hollywood and mm-hmm. West L.A. Back in 2008, by the way, if we're talking about a shift, we've managed properties in Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, West L.A., Santa Monica. That was our, our main portfolio. And Beverly Hills rent prices were higher than West Hollywood. And over the years, West, if you would go mm. now to look for an apartment in West Hollywood, the same size apartment will be way more expensive in West Hollywood than in Beverly Hills. And also you'll find less oh. Section 8 tenants because of that. So back in 2008, we were managing a lot more apartment buildings with Section 8 and subsidized housing, where in today's market, I doubt you'll find any in West Hollywood and in Beverly Hills or West LA, because I don't think Beverly, I mean, LA can afford paying the rent that right now is offered. So yeah, definitely, definitely changed. I remember um, when I was doing property management, uh, a lot of the buildings in the Valley, this was not 2008. This was the the previous time around. So that was 95, whatever, also a rough time. Apartment buildings in the Valley would have big banners that said uh, $500 move-in special. Yes. <laughs> that was, right? We gave, we gave a whole month for free sometimes just for you to move yeah. in. Like, you know, first month or yes. 12 months free. We've, first we've month's free. All kinds of, yep. Or, or, or reduce the security deposits. We've done all kinds of creative stuff to get tenants in. Nowadays, it's the opposite. Yeah. What does the acceptance process look like when tenants are applying? Like, is it kind of a first come, first serve thing? Or is it kind of like how a buyer chooses the best offer? Are you looking at someone who has like the best credit score, or the most money to put down? Or what does that look like? So what what does it look like? It really depends on, again, the area where you manage. Generally speaking, you want to get somebody who is financially capable and can prove it. So we usually go by their bank statements. We have to have at least three times the amount of rent. So they'll be able to pay and show that they're financially secured with like a W-2 or some sort of a K-1 or any kind of... uh, tax report or any kind of financial testimony to their financial ability. We did have, and I'll share with you that we did have occasions where tenants, I mean, prospects would show financial ability to pay, but they had terrible referrals from their previous landlords because they were either negligent or not responsive or just on the human level were not a good fit. Like when a property owner wanted to fix something in the apartment, the tenant would not let them access and and stuff like that. So the financial capability is not the only one. I think it's like like a 360. But yes, for us, it's a first time, like the first one to apply gets the priority and then it goes, can they pay? Do they have good referrals? What is the background that we run from multiple angles with the employment and previous tenancies and uh, everything else that they need to abide by. And then we make a decision. Credit, D, is cre- credit important? Credit score, FICO? So it used to be important. It it's not as important. So I feel like since COVID, okay. credit score relevance is not as important because mm. we have seen credit scores that were affected because of non-payment of utility bills or credit cards mm. that were all related to COVID. And, and we don't mm. go by credit scores anymore. It is part, as I said, it's like the whole, the combination of it all. When a low credit score comes in, we always look into the why. And then if somebody says, hey, I mm. lost my job, I didn't have income for that minute, and then I got my job back. And for the past few months, that's what's happening then we disregard credit scores. But we dive deeper into background checks. We talk to their past, I mean, few, if they were few. 
but we dive deeper into why they're moving from where they're moving, what are the reasons, how long have they worked, how guaranteed is their job, because we don't want to get into a situation where they would lose their job because they just got it back. And so we, we do inquire more about that. So D, how many units do you does your company handle? I, I don't know if you would call it like your portfolio, but how many units do you handle? And then if somebody had a building they wanted you to manage, is there a maximum number for a building that you're interested in taking on or does it just have to fit within your portfolio? So we're considered to be a small company and we have about between 500 and 600 units that we manage. Our portfolio is anywhere from the Valley, like Woodland Hills, Sherman Oaks, all the way to West LA, West Hollywood, and we even have a portfolio in Long Beach. So we always say that we're stretched from the 405 to the 101. I feel that's critical because we really understand tenants and we really understand the cities that we are managing in. So there isn't a limit to the size of the property, but there's a limit to where the property is. If it's in a city that I don't feel we're comfortably know what the regulations and the tenants uh, is if it's in under rent control or not, that's also a question. So if I don't feel like we're, we can comfortably manage it within what we already know from Valley City and Long Beach, then I would reject the property. But otherwise, any size is usually something that we manage. And another critical component is, do we have alignment with a property owner? We don't manage properties to property owners that we just do not agree on some very key principles. For instance, maintenance and upkeep. We would not manage apartment buildings that do not represent us and that the landlords just won't invest in how it looks and how it feels and provide good housing to tenants because it's really critical, important to us that the tenants feel that we care. And if a property owner tells us, hey, I don't want to spend a dime on a property, we'll say, we cannot manage this for you. We want to make sure that if something breaks, we fix it. If it doesn't look good, we make it look good. Last question, D. Is your business recession-proof, right? If we go into recession the next couple of years, people still need property management? Or I don't see a whole lot of dentists taking on management of their own apartment buildings, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think it stood the test of time because back in 2008, it did survive it. Not only that, I was super busy back then because, Mm -hmm. as I said, because there were a lot of move outs, because there was a lot of transactions going on. So short terms, we, we, we jumped into all kinds of leasing and maintenance and management situations that the recession or the crisis provided. I feel especially managing properties in LA, people will always want to live here. Yes, maybe we'll have to get a cut on how much rent you're renting it for or how long you're renting it. Maybe property owners will take because we've, we've endured that where when the crisis happened, property owners lost their properties uh, back to the bank or decided that they're, they're cutting on the management aspect and decided to manage themselves. So I did feel mm. that some of the portfolios we've managed were affected indirectly by the crisis or the recession that happened. But 20 something years, I feel like we've, we've endured it all. So I don't see us not going through another one when it, when it needs yep. to. Amazing. That was a great conversation. We, I think we learned a lot uh, about property management and um, yeah. thank you for being an amazing human. And it sounds like you and Sarah are going to do the Camino together in, a, in, in the next year or two. <laughs> <laughs>
can't wait. <laughs> I'm actually planning another one next uh, October, but I'm going, this one I'm doing oh, wow. uh, Northern Italy. It's called Via Francigena. And it's uh, from the northern border of Italy all the way to Rome or the southernmost point to Rome. Also a pilgrimage route, similar thing. But I, Sarah, I'm sorry, but I plan on doing it with my son. So <laughs> you're invited to join us. So maybe you can just share some information with me and I'll, I'll plan my own trip as well. <laughs> thank you, Dee. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity and I thank you both. I, I think it was great. You also reminded me of that Thanks, crazy, Dee. crazy lawsuit. <laughs> and, and, and the lemon tree. And the yeah. lemon Go pick tree. some lemons now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dee. Thanks, Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at larealtorpod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.